Have you ever heard someone say just about a job that that's just part of the job? Well, it just comes with the territory. Well, um, we knew what we were getting into. Well, you can't say we weren't warned. When we say these things, we are acknowledging that though we knew what the job description said, we did not really believe it was going to be quite that hard. The Christian faith is similar. God's Word has not hidden from us the challenges and the sufferings that come with following Jesus. But still, when they come, they're harder than we imagined. And they can cause us to doubt whether God is with us or even if we are with God. First Peter was written to strengthen the believers who were suffering persecution for being Christians and to instruct them in how to live godly lives in such a culture. In 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, Peter is nearing the end of his letter, and he's specifically writing to assure believers that God has not abandoned them, but on the contrary, God is working in and through the trials that they are facing to purify them and to prove the genuineness of their faith and therefore, they can entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing and continuing to do good. Let's read our passage this morning together. If you'll turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19. I'm thankful for the way that God has led us through 1 Peter. I'm thankful for Paul, our pastor's teaching passage by passage faithfully through 1 Peter. It is a powerful book, and I'm thankful we've had a chance to be in it together. It has been good for me. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Verse 12, chapter 4, 1 Peter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, 
what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You may be seated. Peter, writing this letter to the churches that are in what is then Asia Minor, what is today modern-day Turkey. And Turkey is a special place in our hearts for my wife and I because both of our daughters were born in Turkey, uh, in Istanbul, actually. But at this time, it is a hard time to live in that region of the world. In fact, it's during the time of Nero and the Roman Empire and the persecutions of the Christians. And so they are facing very hard trials and they are suffering. But Peter writes them this, and just starting in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised, beloved. First thing he wants them to know is that trials and suffering for a Christian are not strange. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would have loved you as its own, but because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, said, Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You want them to know, do not be surprised or think that this that has come upon you, the fiery trial, is strange. Many of you um, may, may know my story, our story, <laughs> or you may know bits and pieces of our story. We worked for a number of years uh, overseas, and we worked in a country where it was illegal to proselytize. It was illegal to share the gospel with the intent or hope that the person hearing the gospel would respond in faith and believe and be saved. We lived in this country for a number of years. It was actually a good while ago. Uh, Noah was um, now 13, at that time, three. And Grace, who is now 11, was one. And so our family was young, and we were living in this country, and we were working, and we lived and worked in a remote area of this country. Not just remote because it's far from here, but remote because it was remote there. I mean, you go to the end of the road, keep going, and we'll be out there somewhere. And uh, in fact, our, our, our supervisor used to say, if you just go to the end of the road, keep going, you'll find the Thompsons. <laughs> so that was us. And so we, we, we lived out there, and we worked out there, and because we had a mandate 
Even though the law said not to proselytize, we were called to make disciples and to share the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And so that kind of put us in a, a little bit of a tricky situation in a country where that's illegal. I remember um, my mom sent me a book. If you know me at all, that's exciting. It excites me to get a book. And so, um, especially out there. So when I get a new book, and not only a book, but it was a John Piper book. And so I was extremely excited. So I get the book, and I look down at its cover, and the name of it is Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. Really, it should be called Suffering and the Sovereignty and the Supremacy of God over all things. I was like, okay, that's an interesting book for my mom to send me. But I was still, I was excited, and so I opened it up, and I, I like to read the introduction. It just kind of prepares my heart, gets my mind in shape, and I know what the kind of frame the book. And so I jumped into the book, and I start to read the intro, and I get to the last bit, and it's a prayer. A strange prayer, actually, written by John Piper and Justin Taylor and the others who contributed to this book, like Joni Erickson Tada and Nate Saint, if any of those names mean anything to you, they are those who have suffered, either for the sake of Christ or suffered for the glory of Christ. And this book was unusual. It kind of stopped me in my tracks. It said, our prayer is not that this book would make the bestseller list or receive acclaim and praise. Rather, our prayer is that God would direct the right readers in accord with his sovereign purposes. They pray that this book would find its way into the hands directed by the sovereign God for those whom it was intended for. And it goes on to say the ones that it was intended for were those who were in or had suffered. They said, Lord, lead this book to those who had suffered. It might give them hope. But it also said, lead, them to, lead this book to those who are in the midst of suffering, that it may give them strength and hope. And so what did I do? Put it down, because I hadn't faced suffering yet, and I didn't really feel like I was in the midst of suffering. And if this book was prayed over that God would direct it to the, to the hands of those who had suffered or were in the midst of suffering, if it was in my hands, I was about to suffer. So I put it down. I'm not going to put it down. It sat on our nightstand for two whole days. <laughs> and then I, I just I couldn't help myself. I just picked it up. I could not let a John Piper book sit unread on my nightstand. So I picked it up. I was like, okay, you know, whatever. I'm going to read it. I read the book. Powerful book. Literally. The day after I read this book, we got the first knock on our door from the officials. It would be the first of many. Not only knocks on our door, but then they would start to want me to come to their door. And then they would finally, at the end of that time period, they would deport us from their country. Suffering. It should be expected for the Christian. 
He didn't want them to be surprised or think it was strange that they were suffering these trials, but he also wanted to know something else. And I'm going to have to do something that is a little out of character, but you have to go with me, if you would, down to verse 19, to the last verse of our passage today. And we're going to work our way back up to the top and down, but I want you to have this anchor to hold on to everything else. The anchor is this. In 19, he says, therefore, let those who suffer, suffer according, who are suffering for according to God's will. What he was saying is that God is sovereign over their suffering, that God is literally working for them their suffering for according to his will. If you look at what it says there, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. He says the te- these trials that were coming upon these believers that Peter was writing to were fiery trials. They were for a purpose of testing, but why were the trials coming? We have to look back into the passage just a little bit. If you'll walk with me here, just listen for a moment. I'm going to walk you through passage, through each chapter of the book or the letter that you might hear what kind of trials they were facing. In chapter 1, verse 6, it says they were grieved by various trials. That's pretty general and pretty broad, but in chapter 2, he compares their suffering with that of Christ Jesus and says that he was reviled, but did not revile in return. 3.14, he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 3.16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 4.4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same, same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. 4.14, insulted for the name of Christ. 4.15, if anyone suffers as a Christian. The believers that Peter is writing to in the churches were living as followers of Jesus, and they were suffering for the name of Christ, simply for living in a way that did not line up with the culture of that day. They were living as Christians in a non-Christian culture, and they were being verbally slandered, maligned, reviled, and insulted, and possibly even physically abused. Peter, writing to encourage them, says, take heart. These trials that you are facing for the sake of the name Christian, for the sake of the name Christ, living in the ways of Christ, righteous and in good behavior, because you are a believer, he said, take heart. These trials are for your good. They are according to his will, and they are working for your good. Peter uses that word fiery trials. He's wanting to create a picture or an image in our minds of what God is doing, and he creates this picture of the refining of gold. Now, you may know how to refine gold. I, I didn't know how to refine gold, so I went to a website 
I don't know anything about this website. If it's a bad website, I'm sorry. I just was looking for refiner and gold, okay? So I really don't know. I should have maybe looked a little further, but it's goldtraders.com. But it had a nice little blip on what it was to refine gold. And the craftsman, it says, would sit next to a hot fire with molten gold and a crucible being stirred and skimmed to remove the impurities of dross that rose to the top of the molten metal. It says the flames would reach up to 1,000 degrees Celsius. He says these trials that you are facing are fiery, not so much in intensity, but in purpose. They're there to purify you. God is working according to his will to purify you. Literally, the working of these things, the the trials in your life are separating inside of you the desires for the things of this world from the things that are of God. Literally making you pure or righteous or holy. These fires are doing their purpose. These trials are working in you literally to separate your heart and desire from the things of this world, the things that could be pleasures, protection, acceptance, anything that would hold your heart captive in this world, literally pulling it apart fiery trials. The fiery trials also came upon them to test them, to prove the genuineness of their faith. The work of suffering for Christ showed that their faith was genuine faith. They were willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, and in so doing, they proved that they were a follower of Christ. So not only were these trials testing them to purify their hearts, but it was testing them to prove their hearts genuine. As a result, their hearts would rejoice. Verse 13 He says, don't be surprised at these fiery trials that have come upon you. They're working according to God's will to work in you, to purify you, to confirm in you, improve your faith. But rejoice, he says, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings for doing what is right. As Christ walked in obedience to the Father, you too are walking in the same ways as Christ and suffering as Christ suffered. He said, insofar as you do this, rejoice. Rejoice that you take part in the sufferings of Christ. Why? That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Our rejoicing now in our sufferings for Christ ensures that we will take part in a greater joy and gladness in the day of Christ's glory. This joy over is an overwhelming joy. It's an exaltation joy. Literally, rejoice in the sufferings today that you may take part in the exaltation of Christ on the day of his glory. This rejoicing is pale in comparison, but we rejoice now confirming and affirming our faith in suffering for Christ that we might 
rejoice in exultation on that day of his return. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. They persecuted the prophets who were before you in the same manner. John Piper, who I quoted a while ago, he says, God ordains in the lives of his messengers that suffering sever our bondage to the world. When joy survives the severing, we are fit to say to the nations with authenticity and power, hope in my God. He is greater than. When your joy survives the severing from this world, we then have the authenticity and the power to say, hope in my God. God is working, he says, according to his will that these trials purify you, prove you, and in the midst of them rejoice in the joy that will come in Christ's return. In that almost same flow of thought, he says, and if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted, this, this comes apart, this comes along with John MacArthur says when people are proclaiming Christ, when they are insulted for proclaiming Christ, for the name of Christ proclaimed, then you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God then rests upon you. The picture of God's spirit and power is his glory now. Where we rejoice in the glory that will be on his return, we can also rejoice in the spirit of the glory and of God that rests upon us. The picture of resting upon us carries a picture of relief in the midst of the trial. When you're insulted or when you're facing the fiery trial, when you're being reviled or slandered or persecuted for my name's sake, for proclaiming my name, he says you are blessed. The Spirit of God will come upon you and give you rest, a reprieve. I told you what happened, follow up the story, a couple months later, more knocks, more visits, I was tired. And I was like, I don't want to go to that office anymore. <laughs> don't send it. And with my work, I had a chance to get away. And I was excited because it was, it was unexpected. I had to get on a plane. I had to fly two hours away. I mean, this was a way. And so literally, I packed up the kids. I packed up Cindy. I was like, I'm taking to the nearest city, which is where our friends were. So we drive. We hit the road. We get on the road. Keep going. We get back to the city. I drop off Cindy and the kids, and I head to the airport. And I got to tell you guys, <laughs> my spirit within me, was saying, no, no, stay. You're going the wrong way, Jeremy. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. 
I am going the right way. No, you're not. I've called you to this. It's time for you to proclaim my name. I was like, Lord, I don't want to proclaim your name there. I don't want to do that. So I went on. I dropped off sending the kids, and I went to the airport. I got my ticket. And literally, as I'm standing there with that ticket, over the intercom, my flight's delayed. And I'm like, oh, man. Are you kidding me, Lord? <laughs> no. No, 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 no. So I didn't even listen. I just went on up the gate. I was like, nope. I meant if somebody's getting on the plane, it's going to be me tonight. So I sat there, delayed, delayed. It's late. It's now dark. I'm like, Lord, please just get me on that plane. He's like, no, not for you. But I did get on the plane. They boarded us. Let me tell you, I was the first one on. I mean, everybody else is getting on. I'm reading the magazines. I mean, you know, I can't even read them. They're in a language I can't. I don't even know how to read. I'm still reading these things. You know, I'm trying to ignore everything around me. We sat on that plane, sat on that plane. Finally, they come and tell us, it's not going tonight. I'm like, oh, man. I know, I know. I had to apologize to every other person on the plane. I'm sorry. It's me, like Jonah. You know, should have thrown me off. I'm sorry. I'm just getting off the plane. <laughs> Sorry. You can go tomorrow. I can't, but you can. It'll go tomorrow. Trust me. It did. And uh, I get off the plane, and I meant literally, guys, my foot didn't even hit the curb. Phone rings. Need you to come over here. Need you to come in. I know. I'm on my way. I go by and get Cindy, and I go by and get the kids. <laughs> It's about a 30-minute drive back out there. It's a quiet ride. It's a real quiet ride. But the Spirit of God gave us rest. It was just sweet. <laughs> it was just a reprieve. The Spirit of God gave rest. According to the will of God, he calls us, literally, us to suffer for the name of Christ, that we might be purified, <laughs> that our faith might be proven, genuine, that we might have the opportunity to rejoice in the sufferings of Christ, <laughs> that we might take part in the glorification of Christ and the exaltation of that glory. And that we might enjoy the rest of the spirit of the glory of God. Peter continues and he says, Let no one suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. But, or yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he says, you should not be suffering for these things. This isn't the same kind of suffering. This is suffering deserved. To suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler, then you, you suffer and you receive the consequences of your sins. But he says, yet... The difference, the contrast, if anyone suffers as a Christian, 
And that was a derogatory term. That was an earned slander. (laughs) They had earned that name by living as Christ. Literally, a Christ follower. So much so that they derogatorily called them, you little Christ follower, you Christian. He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. I'm almost, you could be ashamed for suffering as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler, but don't be ashamed. Not, not in the sense of embarrassment, but literally, don't deny his name. In the midst of the trial, in the midst of the suffering, when you suffer as a Christian, do not deny his name. <laughs> Don't deny his name. Instead, glorify God in that name. <laughs> glorify him. <laughs> Rejoice in the midst of the trial. Rest in His Spirit. Glorify God. Don't deny His name, He says. Oh, for you know it is time, He says, that judgment will begin at the household or the house or the temple or that today we would say at the church. It was time. Judgment was coming now upon the church. And if it begins with us through these trials, through these fiery trials that are purifying and proving our faith, then what will become of those who do not obey the gospel? A warning to them. And if the righteous, quoting Proverbs, is scarcely saved, what will become of of the ungodly. Literally, it's a a warning to them. Don't deny his name. (laughs) Glorify his name, knowing that the judgment is coming here now upon the house of God. If it's come upon us, the judgment that comes upon the ungodly, the sinner, the one who disobeys, is not a fire of refining judgment. It's a fire of eternal destruction. Oh, what will become of the ungodly? They are eternally cast into the lake of fire. And lastly, he ends with a powerful verse. And I did it again. I cannot say this verse without smiling. I don't know why I do that. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, God's sovereign will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Oh, picture, faithful creator. I love this picture. James, I think, says it best. Oh, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says, entrust, literally, it's a banker's term, to give someone to someone for safekeeping, to entrust to someone for safekeeping. Same word that Jesus used on the cross, actually, when he said, Father, into your hands I entrust or commit my spirit. He says for us to entrust our souls or our whole selves to the faithful creator. Who is this faithful creator? He is the, the good gift giver. He is good He is the one who is the father of lights, which means he created those lights in the heavens. He's the creator of the universe in power and in might. He is good. He's the faithful gift giver, good gift giver. He is powerful as the creator of the heavens and the lights. And those heavens and those lights, they cast shadows. And those shadows move, but it says he does not move like the shadows he created. He is faithful. The picture is entrust yourself to the God who is good, who is the creator and all-powerful and sovereign over all things, and is faithful to his promises and to his people. Christians do not suffer accidentally (laughs) or because of the irresistible forces of blind fate. Rather, they suffer according to God's will. So therefore, entrust yourselves to the faithful creator and continue doing good. John Bunyan, writer of Pilgrim's Progress, these are his thoughts concerning 1 Peter 1, 419. It's not that enemies will, nor what they are resolved upon, but what God will, and what God appoints that shall be done. And as no enemy can bring suffering upon a man when the will of God is otherwise, so no man can save himself out of their hands when God will deliver him up for his glory. We shall or shall not suffer, even as it pleaseth him. God has appointed who shall suffer. Suffering comes not by chance or by the will of many, by the will and appointment of God. According to his sovereign will. Entrust yourself to the faithful creator and continue doing good. One of the things I did when I read this book and those knocks started coming at my door (laughs) is I went back to one of the chapters and literally I wrote down every verse it referenced. I still have it today, actually. I was looking at it last night and it still got dirt on it (laughs) from where we were. But I carried these verses, and I carried them with me every single day, 
And I read them over and over and over because they proclaimed the sovereignty of our God over all things. It proclaimed him as the faithful creator over all things. And so I rested and entrusted myself to him who is worthy. Who is worthy. says, then as you entrust yourself, continue doing good, my beloved. <laughs> entrust yourself in the fiery trial and do good. And these are the words he says through First Peter, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Proclaim him. I urge you, beloved, he says, as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of this flesh that wars against your souls and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Continue doing good so that when they speak of you as an evildoer, they may see your good deeds and glorify our God on the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to governments and masters and husbands. Call to unity and humility and forgiveness. Live in such a manner that people will ask you, what is the hope within you? And you may give a defense for that hope. No longer take part in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatries. Continue doing good, he says, self-controlled, sober-minded, loving one another, showering hospitality without grumbling, using your gifts to serve one another in order that God may be glorified through Christ Jesus in everything you do, in everything. Continue doing good. Entrust yourself to the faithful creator, knowing that he is sovereign over all. I close with this. Just a, one, little, one little paragraph. <laughs> from this book to end on. It says, therefore, he's speaking straight out of 1 Peter, God ordains suffering <laughs> to help us release our hold on worldly hope and put our hope in God. The fiery trials are appointed to consume the earthly dependencies and leave only the refined gold of genuine faith. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. It's the supremacy of God's great faithfulness above all other securities that frees us to rejoice as we share in Christ's sufferings. Therefore, Joy in suffering for Christ's sake. Make the supremacy of God, God, shine more clearly than all of our gratitude for wealth.
Entrust your souls to the faithful creator. Continue doing good. Rejoice in suffering for Christ and glorify God in everything. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, you are worthy. Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters in this body of believers, Lord, that God, they would entrust themselves to the faithful creator and continue doing good. Suffering for the, for the cause of Christ. Suffering for the name of Christ. And rejoicing in those sufferings. Waiting expectantly for the rejoicing that will come in your return. And we will exult with all glory and honor and praise to you, <laughs> our King. Oh, Lord, may they, may they never be ashamed, but may they glorify you in your name in everything that they do. May they glorify your name. I pray it, Lord.